Welcome to the Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Thursday, July the 6th, 2023. On this edition of the Politocrat, stories from the Black Chronicles. Some stories that have happened here over the last day or two that you might be interested in. As far as black people are concerned here in the United States. There may be one or two additional things to mention as well. Coming up next. You don't think you will ever change and write books that incorporate white white lives into them substantially. I have done. Mm. In a substantial way. You can't understand how powerfully racist that question is, can you? Because you could never ask a white author, when are you going to write about black people? Whether he did or not, or she did or not. Mm. Even the inquiry comes from a position of being in the center. And being used to being in the center. And being used to being in the center. Mm-hmm. And saying, you know, is it ever possible that you will enter the mainstream? It's inconceivable that where I already am is the mainstream. They don't want us here. They don't want us here. I say this all the time on social media, and I think some people must think that I am crazy, dear listener, for saying this. I will type this on Twitter. I'll put this on a platform here and there. And I am almost certain, I don't know for a fact, that someone will say, what is he talking about? They don't want us here. Who is the they and who is the us? I think from Toni Morrison's comments right there, you can figure out who the they are and you can figure out, dear listener, who the us is. Now, let me tell you, dear listener, that was from 1998, The one, the only, Toni Morrison, the brilliant author and, I mean, just extraordinary human being who, of course, passed away back in 2019, if I uh, remember correctly. Speaking back in 1998 there to Yana Wendt, a reporter and journalist from Australia, and you heard the question, and, and you know, Tony Morrison's absolutely right, dear listener. There's no way that Yana Wendt would have asked that same question of a white author. She would not. We all know that in this world. And you know that as well, dear listener. I don't care whether you're black, Asian, Native American, Native anyone, white. I don't care who you are. There is no way on earth that Yana Wendt, a white female journalist in Australia, would have asked a white author, be that author male, female, trans, gay, whomever. No way that Yana Wendt would have asked a white author, well, why, when are you going to include black people in your books and send to them? How, when are you going to do that? I guarantee you she, if she ever did get to speak to Woody Allen, and who would want to speak to him? I would bet you anything 
Yana Wendt, or however you pronounce her first name, Jana or Yana or whatever her first name is, however it's pronounced, I guarantee you she wouldn't ask Woody Allen, when are you going to put black people in your films? Because Woody Allen has done that very, very rarely. He's actually put black people in his films very rarely indeed. And never has any journalist asked him anything about, well, are you going to put more black people in your movies? And it is, as Toni Morrison said in that clip you just heard, asked from a position of privilege and centering oneself as a white person. And that shows you the white privilege, the racism, clearly coming out of Yana Wendt, and any other white person who would dare to ask that question of anyone black, whether it be Toni Morrison or Alex Haley, both of whom are no longer here, as I've indicated, or whether it's someone like James Baldwin, no no longer here, or, or whether it's someone, hey, you know, some na- name an author who is black. I mean, there's a gazillion black authors. Walter Mosley. I, I don't know if he's still alive, though. I think he is. James McBride. Name, a, name an author. Tressie McMillan Cotton. I mean, name, name one. I've just named a few black authors. And I guarantee you. That's the deal. That's what happens, dear listener. And by the way, welcome aboard this edition of the Politocrat Daily Podcast. It's great to have you aboard here on this Thursday. I'll be playing another Tony Morrison clip during the course of this episode might be, well, I won't tell you when it's going to be, but there will be another clip I will be playing you. But this episode, dear listener, on this day, and I do hope you are well, I really do, is going to be all about the Black Chronicles, stories from the Black Chronicles, as I call it. And there have been a few stories I think you need to know about here. The first one, and I'm just trying to figure out where enough this took place in the United States, but it did. And I don't know whether it was very, very recently or long ago or whatever. I suspect it was very recently. But the bottom line is, is that you're going to hear some audio in a few moments time. I'm going to play this for you. And you will hear a voice saying that it's a a girl is in the park, but I'm going to be more specific than that. A black girl is in a park. So you're going to be hearing audio from video that I think, I guess, was captured on somebody's TikTok and was put on Twitter. And what I have done is just recorded the audio from that video. And this is one of the most passive-aggressive slash aggressive and most passive-aggressive and hostile encounters that I have heard in the last day or two. And there's one other one that I'll be getting to play you as well. But the first one here is one of the most vigorously and violently 
passive aggressive encounters by a police officer of a black girl that I can remember since, well, Breonna Taylor, and that was not passive at all, was it now? This is just, I think, downright hideous. And and the the way that I mean this is just absolutely obscene. It's absolutely obscene. And by the way, I can confirm to you, dear listen, this was in two thousand and twenty one. And I can tell you something else, dear listener, to be even more specific than that. This was in July of 2021 in Las Vegas, Nevada. So I just want to make sure that I get this all in perspective for you. As a matter of fact, this is something that actually took place in 2020. So this is three years ago now. And by the way, there's this nasty habit on social media of people posting clips from things without telling you what the dates are. As if it were something that happened today or yesterday. Case in point, Andrea Mitchell. There was a clip floating around on social media, Twitter. On the 5th of July, that would have been yesterday. And... People like Keith Olbermann, for God's sakes, were posting this clip as if it had just happened. Andrea Mitchell is in a remote location. There's six or seven or eight gazillion people on MSNBC on the Chris Jansing Reports show. And there's, you know, six or seven people in, you know, in their split screens of six people And in one of those split screen boxes is Andrea Mitchell. And she's literally nodding off as Chris Jansing is asking a question of one of the panelists of this six or seven people. And you can see Andrea Mitchell's head bow and her eyes closed. And she's obviously exhausted. She's probably out in Arizona or some remote location out in the West. And dear listener, you can see her head nod down slowly and her eyes closed. She's obviously exhausted and she's on camera live and this is what's happening. And this clip is going around Twitter as if it just happened yesterday on July 5th. It happened in 2022. And this is the thing about social media, one of the many things about social media that I am not a fan of. Now, there are a few things I am actually a fan of, dear listener, on social media, but not this. Posting these videos as if they just happened. These things may have happened two, three, five, ten years ago. And that's what happens when you just find a clip that someone's put out there and you don't go and do the basic journalistic checking, Keith Olbermann. This is the second time he's done this this year that I can remember. And I've stopped listening to his podcast, by the way. When he called Angel Reese of the LSU Lady Tigers a effing idiot, that was my, that's when I closed the deal. And uh, Angel Reese is a black woman, by the way. 
And when she and, and the LSU Lady Tigers, of course, won the NCAA Women's Basketball Championship a few months ago. And they were at the White House, I think, last month. But the bottom line is, dear listener, is that when he called her an effing idiot, I I quit him right away uh, because, you know, for me, I just think that he's got some deep-seated racism of his own that he needs to deal with. Anti-black person racism that he needs to deal with. And his excuse when he got caught out and lit on Twitter, his ass got lit up, was, oh, well, I didn't uh, know. I didn't do the journalistic due diligence. I didn't know what was going on. I just called her an effing idiot and I just didn't really research what was going on and and i'm saying i said then on this podcast dear listener what are you talking about keith oldman you're a freaking sports reporter slash journalist you've been in one for over four zero forty years forty years four zero years forty years how could you not do the research you didn't want to do the research and again his ass gets caught out again. Yesterday he posts this video of Andrea Mitchell. Now, whatever people think about Andrea Mitchell, the news person on NBC News and MSNBC, she's married to Alan Greenspan, and uh, you know about him, um, the former chair of the Fed and all the rest of it. And so how can you not do due diligence? How come I managed to do the due diligence? And he didn't. <laughs> I mean, I look, I'm saying, wait a minute. Where is this? When's this video from? Nobody's giving any attribution on social media to when that clip was. See, one thing about me, dear listener, I will tell you when the date of something occurred. If I know what that date is, I'm going to put it on there so that you can tell what the context is. I am going to pretty well, unless it's understood that it's contemporary and in the very, very present moment. I will tell you what the date is, pretty unless it's self-explanatory. But this is what happens on social media. People don't do the research. They just attach something. As I've said many times, they quote something. They don't tell you what the context is. They don't tell you who wrote the thing. They just put some piece in the middle of a tweet and they screenshot it and they don't have any link to what they screenshotted. They don't have a date. They don't have anything. That could have been made up by someone and just stuck somewhere. And there's no journalism anymore. You just stick something in a tweet and you're done. And that is not the way it's supposed to be and should never be that way. But anyway, I ramble and digress and rant all at once. Thank you for your indulgence. But here's the point I'm trying to make. This was August of 2020, what I'm about to play you, okay? I've given you a date, I've given you a month and a year. So specifically, I've given you that. But I am telling you, dear listener, that you now, and I'm giving you the exact date, August the 17th of 2020, that would be nearly three years ago. And by the way, it would be almost two months after George Floyd would be executed. And again, this was in Las Vegas, Nevada. Okay, what you're about to hear. Two Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Officers. You're going to hear the male officer, 
a white male. And you're going to hear how arrogant, how condescending, how ignorant, and how angry he is. And how he escalates, not de-escalates. As these cops, particularly these white cops, do not de-escalate anything. Especially, particularly, these white male cops. When it comes to us as black people, dear listener, these white cops, especially these white male cops, cops, do not de-escalate anything. What they do is ratchet up and ratchet up and ratchet up the toxicity, the anger, the impatience, the ignorance. These people are very small and deeply insecure about themselves. And they are very childish and they are not very smart either. And I'm going to talk about this video afterwards. But I want you, dear listener, to listen to this. I really want you to listen to this and hear the arrogance and the anger and the pathetic, disgraceful and racist, in my view, clearly racist behavior of this white male cop speaking to a black girl studying in a park in Las Vegas. This girl's just studying for her exam in a public park. No harm done, right? But these cops don't agree. How are you? I don't know if anybody told you, right? but this uh, senior center is getting ready to open up next week with kids in it. All right, so if there are kids present in the park and you don't have kids, you can't be around, you, you can't be loitering in the presence of children. You understand that? What am I doing wrong, sir? I'm studying. Okay. Am I being harassed right now? What is the problem? I'm doing homework. Is this a regular park? Because there's a slide and everything here. This is a regular park. Okay, I'm talking about next week. Not right now. Talking about next week. I'll go to school too. I'm a college student. I won't even be here next week. Okay. Ma'am, do I know you, ma'am? No, I don't. So I'm telling you what's I'm going on. All right, ma'am, this is what's going on. So this way you can film what I'm saying to you. Yeah, All right, next I'm week. Okay, hold on. No, you're not being harassed. Next week, there are going to be children okay. present in this park. Okay. I cannot have you. If you are a homeless individual or not, not I cannot. Okay, and if you're not homeless, then don't worry about it. But the fact is, even if you are, are not homeless, you cannot be present in the park if you do not have children, if you have no business. It's a law. Do you understand that? So I'm not harassing you. I'm letting you know that. So this way, next week, when those children are present, because if you had children, you would not you're want not what? You're not harassing me, but you're getting closer and closer to me. Okay. I'm not getting closer and closer. I moved so this way you can get me in frame. Because you yeah, want to film me, I'm, I'm allowing you to get. And I'm and I'm and I and I'm explaining it. But you continue, you continue, you continue to interrupt me as I am explaining it. I won't be at the park next week. Okay. And then and then that's and that's fine. But I'm letting you know. Everybody, you're not singled out. We just told everybody that's in the park. But still, what? So hold on. So.
Would, 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 did I, would I have known that? Would I have known that if I had not spoke to you? Okay, so so this way you know for next week. Okay, great. It's not crazy. If you were a parent, if you were a parent and you had children getting ready to go there. Okay, but so then why then why are you working on being difficult? Which is what you're working on. I know how the cops are. No, you don't know how the cops are because obviously, obviously you. And I'm and I am. Did I did. No one is harassing you for studying, and no one is even harassing you. You can continue to study, you can continue to film, but I'm telling you what's going on for next week. But but evidently you decide. I, I came over to talk to you regular, and then you decided that you were going to change the, con the conduct of our conduct. No, no, you were being rude, ma'am. Ma'am, you were being rude initially. And you're still talking to me. Well, because you are, because you are the rude one, ma'am. I'm just doing my study. I'm doing my work. Do you have any questions regarding our stop today? Have a good day. You too. And I'm glad, I'm glad you now are less ignorant than you were before, because now you know the law. Uh, no, I'm not, no, I'm not, because, no, 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 I'm not, and you can continue to play this game. What the cops doing in the United States? You want to put me, hold me down so I can't breathe and just... Oh, no, that's, that's an ignorant statement right there. That is totally ignorant, because that has not even been the contact we have. But, but but no, you continue to talk to me. So I'm a free human being also, ma'am, and you continue to harass me. You are. You are right now. Look at look it. I'm walking away and you're continuing to run your mouth. You are continuing to run your mouth. Five one one five. Matt Scully, five one one five. You have a good What a nasty degenerate piece of garbage bullying aggressive arrogant condescending sarcastic oh I'm glad you know now you know the law because you're a little less ignorant than you were oh, oh yeah this is a nice exchange this is a pleasant police officer really this is a cop who treats people with respect, specifically a cop, really, who treats black people with respect, who treats black girls with respect. Dear listener, that is not what you heard in that three and a half minute, nearly four minute exchange. You didn't hear a white male police officer treating a black girl with respect. You heard condescension, arrogance, bullying, hostility. And you heard sarcasm and contempt. Or oh, you're a little less ignorant than you were. That's not respect. That is not the voice or the tone of respect. You don't speak to people that way. And you definitely don't speak to people that way if you are a police officer. Now, of course, police officers speak this way to black people all the time. But what I'm saying is, you can't tell me, dear listener, that in that audio you just heard, that that cop was treating the black girl 
who is sitting there studying, minding her own freaking business with respect. You can't tell me that he treated her with respect because he did not treat her with respect. He treated her with hostility and contempt. Oh, you're running your mouth. You're running your mouth. You're running your mouth. He can't stand this black girl. And I think he is racist. Mascoli, 5115, Mascoli. That sounds like an Italian last name too, by the way. I suspect he has an in for black girls. I suspect he is a racist. He sounds very much like one to me. That is not how you treat someone. That is not how you talk to someone. Oh, you're a little less ignorant. So what what he thinks, this Mascoli fella, this coward of a cop, and this was from, again, August 17th, 2020. This is less than two months after that piece of garbage in Minnesota killed George Floyd, executed him. This is in Las Vegas, Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Officers, both of them white, one male, one female. And the male that you heard was behaving in a contemptuous, hateful, hostile, arrogant manner. Rude, unprofessional, disrespectful. He flunked the test. He failed. His whole comportment, his attitude sucked. He failed. Whatever so-called training he got about how to approach people in the public, he flunked. What the hell is he doing being a police officer? I get it. The system accommodates people like this because that's what the system is. Remember, the police came out of enslavement patrols. That's where the police in the United States originated from. And enslavement patrols were all about finding black people who were owned by white people and tracking them down if they had run away. And they would be returned and they would be either executed or they would be tortured. That is what happened to our ancestors when these so-called, well, they weren't so-called, these patrols would find and track down black people who ran away. Now, at least in this audio from 2020, you've now got police, not new, of course, Harassing black people who are just sitting in a park. Now, here's the thing that's so also so stupid about this stinking idiot, this piece of garbage who comes up to the black girl and talks such hostile bullcrap and arrogance. Here's the other thing that's so stupid about him. Because as I said, these people are not smart, you know, they are not. They're not smart. And I've told you this so many times. White people are the most emotional people on this planet. And my daily experiences with white people bear that out. 
my own personal experiences. The most emotional people on the planet are white people. And that was just one example in that audio you just heard, dear listener. That was yet another example of my point. He came in there ready to fight her verbally. And had he had his druthers, I'm sure he would have pulled out his gun or his taser. He wanted to. You could just hear it in his voice. And here's what's so stupid. Let me just get to what's so stupid about this idiot of a police officer who shouldn't be one. Because he's not patient. He doesn't have the temperament. He has an attitude issue. He has a big damn attitude. And he should not be a police officer. The dumb thing is, is that he's talking to a black girl who was studying in a park. And you see the video. There's no one around for what seems like miles. And he's talking about Next week, you can't be here. Why are you talking to her about what's happening next friggin' week? When in the moment, she's just minding her own business, studying for an exam. And why are you coming up to her and bothering her? Why don't you leave us the hell alone? You know, really, there's too many of you as white people who you don't know how to leave the F alone with anything but especially with us as black people. Why the f- don't you leave us alone? Leave us alone. We are not doing anything to you. What the F is wrong with you? Leave us alone. Mind your own damn business. Take a chill pill and sit your ass down. This stupid idiot of a cop is literally talking to a black girl who is studying in a park. And this idiot is talking about next week you can't be here. This guy is a nutcase. And by the way, if it were next week and she was there, then you would tell her at that time that she is not supposed to be there. You don't tell her a week before. And then you accuse her of being, oh, if you're a homeless, if you're a homeless person. So he's already come in there with an assumption about black girls. Oh, well, she's sitting here in a park studying. She must be homeless because he says, oh, well, if you're a homeless person, what? If you're a homeless person, that would not have been said to a white girl sitting there. If you're a homeless person. So you've come in there with an assumption. Oh, this black girl, she's homeless. Instead of asking, and then he asks her, and oh, you're not? Oh, okay, you're not. This is pathetic. These people are not smart. 
I'm telling you, I'm telling you, they are not smart. The things that I have been told by some of these people, it will blow your mind, dear listener. Whether you're black, white, well, if you're black, you know this. But if you're white listening to me, the things that some of the white population tells us, me as a black person or any other black person, it will blow your mind. You will not believe it. I've had white people tell me, well, you don't need sunscreen. What are you putting sunscreen on for? Here in California, dear listener, I've had black people. Once I've told them that, they're not surprised. And then I've had white people look at me and gasp. When I tell them that, yes, a white person, complete stranger, says this. What the hell is wrong with white people who do this? What the hell is wrong with them? Not very smart, I'm telling you. These people are very ignorant and not smart and fooled and dumb. Dumbed down by a system that tells them that they are so-called superior. They are not by any stretch. Because if you were superior, you wouldn't behave in this way. You would actually be about your business and you don't have to put on this posture of being a tough guy. A tough guy. You don't have to be tough guy. Oh, I'm not intimidating you. Oh, I'm not doing anything. Oh, I'm not. I'm not. And he's walking toward this black girl. Oh, and what you want to do is put your knee on my neck and, oh, that's a ridiculous thing. That's an immature statement. No, it's not. Go ask George Floyd's family. I mean, duh. And this is less than two months after George Floyd was executed. And this guy, oh, well, no, it's an immature statement. And he's got a gun and a badge. And his hands are on his hips. And his gun is at his holster on his hip. He wants to use that thing in the worst way. He wants to get his rocks off. Except those rocks are nine millimeter I'm telling you, they are ammo from nine millimeter guns. Nine millimeter, I mean, come on. Why are you telling this particular black girl about next week? And here's the other thing that's also pathetic about this. He's moving toward her and then he says, oh, I want to just get you, get, get in the frame for you so that you can see me better. I mean, he's covering his ass and doing it so sloppily. So sloppily. Oh, I want to get in the frame that you're filming in that I can so you can see me better. Bull crap. A cell phone camera can capture you at any distance. Whether close up or not, why would you want to get in any frame when you've got cell phone cameras that can do all kinds of things? 
He knows how a cell phone works. How the hell are you going to even get away with saying you want to get closer and get in the frame? She didn't ask you to get in any frame. She didn't say, come closer to me. I'm trying to film you. She was already filming him. So stupid. And you can unravel this so easily. The, the stupidity of people like this. These are the dumbest people on the planet. And these people are police officers. Trying to make out that they, oh, they want to be in the frame. She never asked you to be in any frame. She's filming you already as it is. So right there you look stupid and dumb and ignorant. And, of course, racist. Then, the other thing about this that makes no sense. You look at the video, where are the signs that say, okay, next week, only seniors and kids or kids and parents with kids are allowed in here. I didn't see any signs posted anywhere in that park, at least in that area of the park. There were no signs. Wouldn't there be a sign? Wouldn't you think that a sign would be up saying from next week onwards, only kids are allowed in this park? Dear listener, I'm sure you've been to a park in your life. And if there is some notice of repairs or closure or some festival or something going on in a particular park, you would see those signs posted. You would see you would see some kind of thing indicating to you, dear listener, that that would be the case so that you have advance notice. Now, that park seemed fairly big. And at least in that particular pavilion area where this black girl was studying in peace, not bothering anyone except this white cop who just cannot stand the sight of black people studying. Because, you know, that evokes something like enslavement when we as black people, our ancestors, weren't allowed to read, weren't allowed to educate themselves. By the way, it was punishable by death. It was illegal, illegal for a black person in this country to read or write or educate themselves. So they had to do it surreptitiously and in private because if they were caught, they would be executed. End of story. So obviously this cop is trying to make out like it is 1822. And he so desperately wants not to have this particular black girl anywhere near a book. That's how I read it. There's no sign anywhere saying that this park is only for children and parents of children and etc. Children of parents. You know, there's no sign like that there. What is he doing going over there? Harass and that's exactly what he's doing. He's harassing a black girl. Why don't you go find some criminal somewhere? Mascoli 5115. Oh, God, honestly, it's just so hideous. You just cannot stand the sight of a black person, can you, Mascoli? You can't stand us. 
you have some other deep-seated issue going on, namely your insecurity and inferiority, which you protect and camouflage with a badge and a gun. For some reason, and he's not the only white person that does this, but for some reason, the white people, a whole lot of white people who do this, have never ever thought to investigate why they behave in this way around black people. Why do white people who do this behave like this around black people? And we've done absolutely nothing to you. Nothing. What the hell is wrong with you? It doesn't happen like we think it does. No one rolls the tanks. No armies meet in pitched battle. It happens quietly, little by little. And because so many think it can't happen, it does happen. Little by little, the rules change. It doesn't seem shocking or sudden. And that's the point. Fewer places to vote, longer lines. Don't worry, they say, we're just improving the system. They hope we won't notice the rules are changing because they lost the last election. They hope we just won't care enough to stop them. They believe they can take America away from us and we won't even notice. We know who they are. We know what they want. The question is, who are we? Do we let them get away with it or do we fight? Democracy is on the ballot. Vote while your vote still counts. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising. Dear listener, welcome back. And just to read something in addition to the order you heard there before the break. This is from the black girl who was studying in the park. August 17th, 2020, at 1 p.m., I was harassed by two Las Vegas Metropolitan Police officers at the park on Flamingo and Jones. They approached me while I was studying my math book at the park. A male officer and his colleague, a female officer, said that they were informing everyone at the park that the park I was at was a children's only park and no adults could be there next week. This is a public park. There was hardly anybody at that park. The male cop was aggressive by his body language and he was also standing in my face. This was unprofessional, rude and unnecessary. He said I was being difficult. I guess because I recorded the video or something. Who knows? Because I didn't do anything wrong. He talked to me like I was some kind of criminal. This was for, this was my first time studying at this park, end quote. And yeah, I mean, I just right along the lines of what I had been saying to you, dear listener. And this is the thing. This is the thing that I keep talking about. We are just minding our business. And there are white people who just don't like the sight of us. Not doing a damn thing. 
Oh, black people don't study. Well, we study and we do study damn hard. And we study and all of a sudden the police officer has a problem with that. Oh, you get great. You don't get great grades. When they get, and then we get great grades as we often and always do. And all of a sudden you change the rules. You write Supreme Court decisions that say, oh, well, race can't be something that's used in affirmative action. And then you let all these white kids in who happen to have ties to very rich parents or rich alumni who were at that very same school that the kid is now going to. No proof that their grades are any good. Half the time, they're mediocre. Just ask George W. Bush. He was a terrible student in school. He managed to get into freaking, what, Harvard or Yale, whatever the hell it was. And it's only because of his dad, Poppy Bush, George H.W. It's pathetic. And this is the thing. That cop needs to be fired. And there needs to be a rule that says, once you're fired, you lose your pension. Period. I know the police unions will fight that. I don't care that they fight it. This guy needs to lose his job. I know we picked up at some other job down the street. You know how that goes. An insecure piece of garbage cop bullying a black girl who is studying for an exam oh next week you can't be here I mean this is just absolutely stupid it's obviously racist and it's stupid and it reveals how stupid this guy is he is not smart these people are not smart they are ignorant and hostile, and racist, and stupid. Now, dear listener, I do want to talk about another interaction here that you're going to hear that took place just this past week here in California in a place called Lancaster. That's about 30 miles or so north of Los Angeles. And you're going to hear a news report. Now, I'm going to talk about this particular audio after the fact as well. I do want to warn you, you may find some of what you hear to be disturbing. Here now is the second story from the Black Chronicles. The L.A. County Sheriff's Department is now responding to controversial cell phone video that shows one deputy detaining a man while another deputy slams a woman to the ground. Both deputies have been pulled from field duty for now and their body cam video has been released. Eyewitness News reporter Leo Stallworth explains today's developments. Get on the ground, dude. To show transparency, the L.A. County Sheriff's Department releasing body cam footage of deputies responding to a report of a robbery in progress at Winco Grocery Store off of West Avenue K4 in Lancaster last week. When they arrive, they confront the suspects, a man and a woman just outside of the store. I'm not under arrest for what? You're not under arrest. You're really detained. Detained for what? Come on, calm down. What am I doing? After cuffing the man, deputies head toward the woman. Now you can't touch me. You can't touch me. 
The woman was pepper sprayed during the scuffle. She accused the deputy of putting his knee on her neck. Get your neck off my, off my, I can't breathe. There is also cell phone video from a bystander showing deputies slamming the woman to the ground. L.A. County Sheriff's Department issuing this statement. The Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department has opened an investigation into this incident. While the department does not make statements related to ongoing investigations, Sheriff Luna has made it clear that he expects department personnel to treat all members of the public with dignity and respect, and that personnel who do not uphold our training standards will be held accountable. Obviously, it's a felony in the state of California to commit a robbery. Tom Yu saying the deputies were dispatched to deal with what they understood to be a robbery in progress in which the suspects had allegedly threatened store employees. He says if the woman suspect had complied with deputies' demands, they would not have had to use force to take her down and cuff her. There's a narrative of saying, well, deputies shut her down because we should record it. She's not an innocent bystander. She's involved. She's detained in this robbery investigation. The Sheriff's Department saying both deputies have been reassigned from field duty pending further administrative review. Activists plan to hold a rally outside of Winco Wednesday demanding the deputies be fired. Leo Stallworth, ABC 7 Eyewitness News. Yes, those sheriff's deputies in L.A. County need to be fired. And remember the black girl in the previous audio you heard who said, yeah, what you want to do is put your knee on my neck. Well... Here is a case where, as you heard, a cop, in this case, a Los Angeles County Sheriff's deputy, put his knee on the neck of an older, senior black female in broad daylight. In any light, whether it's night, light, or daylight, doesn't matter. Put his knee on her neck. And I played you a speech from James Baldwin two days ago on July 4th. And in that speech from James Baldwin, which is an hour long, just under an hour long, he talks about the cops in Birmingham, Alabama in 1963 who put their knee on the neck of a black woman. This has been going on for decades and hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. This brutality by these white cops against black people. And the cop in the audio you heard in the earlier segment. Where he says, oh, that's an immature view. I don't want to, oh, knee on the neck. Oh, that's immature. Well, no, it's not immature. You're immature. Mascoli 5115. Because you obviously are willfully blind to the very present history of this country and the long history of this country where police are concerned and you're a friggin' cop. You are obviously stupid and you obviously know that you're stupid too because you present yourself that way. Illogical, idiotic and emotional because you use that word emotional and you throw it around at women of all backgrounds. And yet you don't look at yourself and look at how emotional you are because you're too busy throwing that around as a negative in the face of women of any background, be they black, white, whomever. That audio you heard just a few moments ago 
was distressing. And I did warn you before, I played it. That report was from July 4th, by the way, of this year, 2023, for something that happened just the previous week, the, la- the latter part of June. So just so you know what the context is, if you watch that video, it's even worse than it sounds. And you literally see this sheriff's deputy with his knee in the neck of the black woman, the senior citizen, older black woman. And you heard her shouting out. And all of this is after what happened to George Floyd. These cops don't care. And you know this, dear listener, they don't care that George Floyd got executed. They don't care. The system's going to continue to do what it's doing unless it's completely eradicated. Oh, oh, and then you hear the police officer for the for the cop, for the sheriff. Oh, well, shoplifting's a felony. It's a freaking cake. And we don't know that they stole it. Oh, so even if they did, that means you've got to use that kind of force? Throw her down to the ground and pepper spray her and freaking want put a knee in her neck? A cake for you, then, is more important than a human life. And yet you stand up here and deny women the right to freaking well choose. And you're talking about a freaking cake? The hell's wrong with you? Oh, you've got a, oh, it's a felony. Stealing is a felony. And there's no proof that they did anything. No proof whatsoever. You didn't hear anything in that report that said that they stole a cake or that there was a video camera in the grocery store that depicted them on it stealing a cake or stealing anything. Nothing of the sort. Now, here's one thing I will say. And we as black people have to be better about this. We cannot afford to argue with the police. It happened in the first audio that you heard where the black girl was saying what she was saying. And I understand it because in that moment, it's just absolutely incredulous that two cops, one of them being so stupid and knowing how stupid he is, deep down he knows he's stupid. And he knows that this black girl's much smarter than him. He knows that as a white male cop. Which is why I think part of the reason why he's being an ass, because he knows, and because he's also racist. But there is really... Nothing here that justifies what the L.A. County Sheriff's deputy did to this black woman. Threw her to the ground, pepper sprayed her, put his knee on her neck while she's on the ground. I mean, what? And you got some stupid lawyer on there for, for them, for the Cops going, oh, well, you know, this is a class A felony. This is a felony. I mean, what the hell? Who gives a damn about some damn cake? 
And again, as I said, we have no idea whether they took anything or not. I mean, these sheriff's deputies wanted to kill. They wanted. To, it's very obvious if you look at that video. The the black man. Her, I'm assuming it's the spouse of the older woman. He was a hang. He was handcuffed without any incident. This is the thing I want to get to again. Before let me not trail off and forget this. The thing that we need to do is stop arguing. We as black people have got to stop arguing with these cops in the moment. I get it. It's sometimes very difficult to, because as I was saying, it's absolutely incredulous what these people are doing. And they are in the wrong. But we have to be, in our way, much better at dealing with this. We have to comply. Now again, we've complied a billion times and still been killed by police. My whole point is, though, if I am going to pick between complying and arguing, I'm going to comply every time. I'm going to comply every time. I'm going to. I've been stopped by the police and I have been probably the most polite person you will ever have known. The way I interact with them and, and the occasions I got stopped by police. Very, very polite. And I was very fortunate that the police recognized my politeness. Although, don't, not to say that it wasn't a very tense atmosphere. And I was sitting there with my hand on the steering wheel at 10 and 2 for what seemed like three hours. What we cannot afford to do as black people is argue with these freaking stupid racist ass cops. They want us to do that. They want us to argue. You heard the idiot in the first audio I played. He couldn't stop. Oh, you're running your mouth. Ooh. He wanted to go at her. He's a bully. He's an insecure piece of garbage. And in the second audio you heard, you heard the older black woman, senior black woman, talking and talking and talking. Wait, you can't put your hands on me. You can't do this. You can't do that. First of all, if you tell a cop what they can't do, they are going to do it. And I'm not defending these cops. They're bastards who do these kinds of things. I'm not defending it. All I'm saying is that we as black folk have to be smarter about how we conduct ourselves because these bastards are begging to get rid of us literally with their guns and we should never play a role in escalating that and making an excuse for them and giving them a damn reason. These cops are racist as it is and as I said before, even when we have complied, we've still been killed. All I'm saying is, is that we don't need to be arguing with these jackasses who are hopped up on power and whiteness and violence and God knows whatever else. We don't need to do that. So, yes, it's tempting. 
But when this police officer is tempted enough to pull out his gun or her gun and shoot you to death. You're gone. You're done. You're finito. I think it's much more important and much smarter to just do what the damn cop says. Even though he's in the wrong, even though she's in the wrong, just freaking do what they ask you. And if you get to tell the tale and you get to stay alive, you can then take it up with attorneys later on. But you don't do that in that moment when they are being hostile to you. You don't argue with them. You don't do any of that. You stay as deferential as possible. You follow what they say. You just do what they ask you to do. And then later on, again, God willing that you make it through and they don't kill you anyhow. You then take it up with the police, with the attorneys and you sue the hell out of the city and that police department. That's how you do this. But you don't start saying, I know my rights. I don't need to do this. You don't, you don't have to do this. Punch me, then I'll sue you. You don't need to be doing all those things. And I understand that these cops are provoking you. But we as black folk have to be smarter than that. We have to be smarter. You don't mouth off at these cops. You don't. You just follow what they tell you. Because, again, you don't want to give these folks a reason. These people are bastards as it is. The police who behave in this way. You don't need to make it any easier for them. That's my point. So we have to be a lot smarter about how we handle these situations. The police obviously do as well. I've been talking about that for this whole episode. So look, I am not sitting here saying that the police are off the hook. I condemn the police doing what they're doing here with this. No call for it. No call whatsoever. This is why you need to know what's going on locally in your police department or in local politics in general, the police commissions or wherever you are. You need to start, start studying local politics. You really do. Malcolm X talked about this. Until black people are more politically aware, forget it. We need to be more politically aware. And that means local politics too. Not just the international stuff or the national stuff, I should say. I got to tell you, I hope that the people who do sue, the black couple, the elderly black couple, the older, the senior black couple, I hope they sue the hell out of the LA County Sheriff's Department. It would be no more than what they deserve. Unless you are celebrating your own birthday on July 4th, if you're a black person, you have no business celebrating July 4th.
You have no business celebrating July 4th. And I just think that anyone who is black who celebrates July 4th, 1776, the independence of the United States of America, is out of their right mind or is just plain ignorant to history. Jewish people do not celebrate Kristallnacht. Jewish people do not celebrate November 9th, 1938 through November 10th, 1938. They don't celebrate that period of time. Study Kristallnacht. If you don't know what Kristallnacht is, you need to study it. Jewish people are very, very clear, and they clearly understand that Kristallnacht is not something that they would ever celebrate. But when it comes to some of us as black folk, we have no problem, some of us, celebrating July 4th, 1776. And I just am completely lost for words as to why anyone who's black would celebrate that day. On that day, our ancestors were in chains, enslaved, in bondage, brutalized, beaten, murdered, executed. You don't celebrate July the 4th, 1776, if you are a black person, unless you are completely out of your mind. We are the only group of people who do insane things like this. Celebrate a holiday that was not for us. Not for us at all. We didn't gain independence on July the 4th, 1776. We were in bondage. We were enslaved. There's nothing to celebrate, is my point. And as I said, we're the only group of people who does this. As I said before, Jewish people, you will never find a Jewish person celebrating Kristallnacht because there is nothing to celebrate about Kristallnacht. Nothing whatsoever. So why on earth are some of us as black people celebrating July the 4th? I know there's the enslavement mind and the trauma that we've been through for 400 plus years. But the question remains, why on earth would anyone who is black, except if it's their own birthday, celebrate July the 4th and celebrate so-called independence? of the United States, 1776? Why would you celebrate that? Don't forget to subscribe to the Politocrat Daily Podcast YouTube channel.
youtube.com forward slash at sign the politocrat pod I am one of the formerly known members of the Central Park Five. Now we're known as the Exonerated Five. And here we are 34 years later, and I've mounted uh, my campaign to run for city council in the 9th District in Harlem. People do remember the story, but people are so thankful that I'm running for office. They're telling me that I provide that hope that they've been looking for. So you gotta imagine, you know, in 1989, the city looked at the color of our skin. We're talking about a government that says that you're innocent until proven guilty. But yet for black and brown boys, they were looking at the color of our skin and they judged us by it. They said we were guilty and we had to prove ourselves innocent. I did almost seven years in prison for a crime that I did not commit. They found out the truth 13 years later. So in 2002, from 1989 until 2002, we were under the awful stigma of being labeled rapists. No, we are still living in a very divided America, separate and unequal. The hardest part is to overcome the fact that you could be seen just for the color of your skin as a crime. But they did that same thing to Emmett Till. They did the same thing to the Scottsboro Boys. They did that to Breonna Taylor, to Ramali Graham, to Eric Gardner. Coming back home, in many ways, is like me coming back to the scene of the crime. But I needed to learn how to become courageous. Being a victim is so difficult because you don't want this to happen to anyone else. And in many ways, you want your privacy. You need to heal. You need to be able to be made whole. But the best way, I think, to effectuate change is to turn your pain into purpose. You have to, you have to be able to say, this happened for a reason. You have to be able to say, this happened for a reason. That was the voice of Yusuf Salam. And that was an interview he did with the Associated Press. And the reason why I play that is because Yusuf Salam, as he pointed out, is a member of the Exonerated Five. And you know about the Exonerated Five. Of course, they had spent time in prison for a crime they did not commit. April the 19th, 1989, in Central Park in New York City, was a day that would live in infamy for these five black and Latino boys, and certainly also, obviously, for the white female jogger who was savagely, brutally beaten in that park during that night of Wednesday, April 19th, 1989. I remember it like it was yesterday. The media was at a feeding frenzy. And as you heard Youssef Salam say, he and four other black and Latino boys were convicted. Basically, you know, they were convicted by the media. The media for over a year and a half have been talking about Wolfpack and these guys are guilty and you have that piece of garbage taking out $85,000 ads in 
New York and national newspapers saying that you need to have the death penalty for these kids. I mean, it was disgusting. It was a lynch mob on steroids in New York City. It seemed like everyone hated these five boys. And I was one of the few people back then who insisted that these kids were innocent. I went to their trials. I followed a lot of their trials. Got to say hello to the parents of these five boys. It's horrible what happened. And Yusuf Salam, who spent nearly seven years behind bars for a crime he didn't commit, is now someone who is one step closer to occupying a seat in the New York City Council. Yesterday, it was made final and confirmed. Yusuf Salam won the Democratic primary for the District 9 New York City Council seat in Harlem. And he won overwhelmingly. Overwhelmingly. It wasn't even close, dear listener. Not even close. This is the primary election. Yusuf Salam got almost 64% of the vote. Inez Dickens, 36.2% of the vote. So Yusuf Salam was declared the winner by the Board of Elections in the city of New York yesterday. And so congratulations to Dr. Yusuf Salam. And by the way, even though it's a primary, you can write Dr. Yusuf Salam's name literally on the seat that he will be occupying in the city council here, well, not here, but in New York City in November because it's a heavily democratic district. And in fact, the likelihood is, is that he will run unopposed. Not to take anything for granted, but... Yusuf Salam is going to be a city councilman come this November when it becomes official. Well, I guess January of next year it becomes official. But he will have been elected to city council in November, just a few months from now. And I doubt that anyone will run against him. You might have some third party person throw their hat in the ring or whatever. But believe me. There is not going to be any challenge from a Republican, not in that particular district, not in Harlem. So I expect, and it's all but certain now in a very heavily Democratic city, um, that Yusuf Salam will be the first of the exonerated five to occupy a position of political power in the very same city that tried to break him, in the very same system that tried to break him. So I want, to congrat- I want to really congratulate Youssef Salam. By the way, he has two websites. One of them is called Youssef Speaks. Y-U-S-E-F as in Frank, speaks.com. You can take a look at his uh, bio there, The Exonerated Five, and you can also look at the merchandise he has on his shop. 
And he also has a second website called Harlem for Yusef, H-A-R-L-E-M-F-O-R, Yusef, Y-U-S-E-F.com. And on there is his platform, his campaign platform, what he stands for, all the rest of it. Make sure you acquaint yourself with those sites. I'll put both of those sites in the liner notes as well. But I do want to play you an interview that he did yesterday with CBS Mornings. Gail King et al. were in attendance for the interview. And here now for the next seven minutes is Yusuf Salam at this point on the threshold of winning the New York City primary in the city council in District 9 in Harlem. Exonerated member of the so-called Central Park Five, we all remember this case, was expected to join the New York City Council after his first run for office in 1989. Youssef Salam was 15 years old when he was wrongly convicted, along with four black and Latino teenage boys, of the brutal rape of a jogger in New York City's Central Park. In 2002, their convictions were overturned by DNA evidence, and they became known as the Exonerated Five. Salam served nearly seven years behind bars for a crime he did not commit. And now two decades after he was exonerated, Mr. Salam is declaring victory in his run for New York City Council while he waits for the primary race to be officially called. He's a criminal justice reform advocate and works with the Innocence Project. We're happy to say that right now Yusuf Salam joins us at the table. Good morning to you, Yusuf Salam. My pleasure. The official final count is today. We will know certainly by the end of the day, but... It looks very good for you. Oh, yes. And you say, oh, yes. Oh, yes. You said, what has happened in this campaign has restored your faith in knowing that you were born for this. And this is a line that got me. You said, every single thing that happens to you Mm. happens for you. Yes. What do you mean by that, considering what you have been through? You know, it's the reality of being able to look back and say, man, that two by four that hit me. Mm -hmm allow me to develop, to develop peripheral vision. Mm-hmm. Had it not happened, I wouldn't have been aware that the rug could be pulled out from underneath your feet, that a lot of us are waiting to live life. Mm-hmm. And God gave us permission to live life. And a lot of us are kind of playing this double dutch of when do I jump in, when do I jump in? The, the time to jump in is now. Mm-hmm. And so when things happen to you, the best thing that you can do is just say to yourself, this is for me. Mm-hmm. You know, this is developing me. This is... This is altering me. Like right now, I get the opportunity to reflect light Mm -hmm. in the most darkest places around the world. But had you always thought about getting into politics? When did this happen for you? You know, early on, I read the story of Joseph in the Bible and the Quran. And finding out that this individual was accused of a crime he didn't commit, the crime was rape, and that he went to prison and he came out and became the greatest statesman in Egypt. I was inspired by that story because I was named after that prophet. Mm. And so, of course, for me, I was like, at 15 and 16, is it possible? But then it, you know, it kind of was swept under the rug until 2002, when we were found innocent. But there are still people sitting here today, Yusuf, you know this, who don't believe that uh, you should be out of prison, that, you know, the words are, well, they certainly must have done something that night. There's still people who believe that about you. You know, you'll, you'll always get judged by the color of your skin and not the content of your character. And unfortunately, in the black and brown community, when they look at us and they say to us, you're guilty until you're proven innocent. I mean, the law says innocent until proven guilty. Yes. But in our communities, 
you're seen as guilty and the system is just going to play itself out and you'll be able to get all the time that you're supposed to get. Mm. And in our case, it was like, we didn't do it. Right. And not only didn't we do it, because they got stuck with the lie, there was a young woman who could have been alive today. Mm. If the system said, you know what, something is wrong with wow. this case. Let's, let's take a step back and reevaluate everything. But they got stuck with us being the culprits, allowing for the real criminal to ultimately murder one of his last victims. And speaking of um, the system and being wrongfully imprisoned, for most people, going through a dark time like that, they will come out on the other end and say, you know what, I'm through with the system. Mm. I'm through with the police officers. I'm through with the NYPD. Um, that's not the approach you're taking. Um, you, you, you talk about that two by four hitting you and allowing you to have that peripheral vision. What has your vision shown you and what you want to see in police officers nowadays? I gotta tell you, I've had so many um, profoundly impactful experiences with police officers and people who wanted. You're talking positive experiences. Positive, very, very positive. Righteous actors is what I call them. I met a young girl, she was 13 years old, and um, she stood up in an audience and said, you know, Yusuf, I wanna become a cop. What advice can you give me? I'm a cadet, I wanna become a cop. And my first thought was to tell her to run. But then I realized that I wasn't talking to a cop. I was talking to a future guardian of society. Mm. And I got the opportunity to give her my best advice, telling her that on the side of police cars throughout the nation, you see the words to serve and protect, that in New York City, they go a step above and beyond, adding the words courtesy, professionalism, and respect. And so for me, it's like, if this person who has found their purpose can understand that she is a guardian for society, right. that's a different type. I, I want that type of person right. to guard me. I want that person to be out there saying, you know what, I am to protect and serve all. Right. Yeah. It's important. Uh, Mr. Slum, to an issue uh, that New Yorkers are dealing with, but people in cities across the country are dealing with, that's gun violence. Mm. Uh, here in this city, gun violence has declined somewhat. It's going in the right direction, at least the numbers are. However, the age of the shooter and the victim seems to be lower than ever. What do you make of that? What I make of that is that we have been given such a devaluation of life that if I can't even see the humanity in you, I was raised as a child to see every single man as if he could be my father, my brother, or my son. And every single woman as if she could be my mother, my sister, or my daughter. Automatically, that level sets the type of respect that I am supposed to give and therefore be given. And the fact of the matter is that when we look at what's going on in our communities, when you have poverty and abject poverty, if you will, you have this sense of hopelessness, the fact that People are seeing things like George Floyd get murdered or Breonna Taylor get right. murdered. You know, in their minds is this idea that tomorrow is not promised. And so therefore, I have to live as recklessly as possible. Mm. And in that recklessness, young people are, are exposed to everything. Yeah. My children, I have children that are as young as seven years old. They see everything. You can't yeah. shield them from the world. And in their response, they think that, oh, this is just... You know, right. to take another person's life, is not, it doesn't it's mean not a as big much. Deal. Yeah. It's a promise. huge deal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they don't yeah. see that. It alters everything. That ripples into the future of, of course. how we are as a people. Yeah, which is why we have to continue to lead the way. Absolutely. You know, my, my website that I lay out my whole platform really kind of 
tries to um, give people the perspective of what okay. it's all about. And what's the website? HarlemForYusuf.com. There it is right there. Oh, Yusuf Salam, thank you so much. We appreciate you for joining us. This is a really great story that Yusuf Salam is going to become a New York City councilman. And you heard how his words resonated with the people at CBS Mornings. You heard it just by the way they responded to him. This brother is somebody who I think will make an excellent leader politically. And I expect that he will once he formally becomes New York City congressman for District 9 in Harlem. I think this is a great story. Now, obviously, the the not great part is the wrongful conviction and being behind bars for nearly seven years of his life. Seven years he'll never get back. The positive is, is that he is spreading and shining a light that's so powerful that even people on CBS mornings were mm, umming in agreement, humming in agreement, you know, mm. it resonated. What this brother had to say resonated with the people interviewing him. That should tell you something about the kind of brother Yusuf Salam is. Now, of course, you can donate to his campaign. I believe it is Harlem for Yusuf. As he gears up to run in November or run for November. But the thing is, is that while I doubt that he will have few rivals in November, you never can take anything for granted in these situations. I wanted to end with that story, and I do wish Yusuf Salam the very best, Dr. Salam, who, by the way, also has a couple of books that you might want to be aware of. One of them is called Better Not Bitter, Living on Purpose in the Pursuit of Racial Justice. That was written in May of 2021, or at least published then. That is a book that you might want to read. I recommend it. And then the other book is a book called Punching the Air by E.B. Zaboy. That's Z-O-B-O-I, first name I-B-I. E.B. Zaboy and Yusuf Salam. It's called Punching the Air. Buy both of those books and, and read those, please. I really do recommend both of them. But this is the thing, right? This is our story as black people. We have so many different stories, so many different stories, and they all must be told. And only we can tell them. And in the way that we choose fit. And the way that we see fit, I should say. So let's continue to do this. We know where we come from and we know who we are. But I don't think that the people who brutalize or get hostile with black girls or black women know who they are. Congratulations, Dr. Yusuf Salam. Wishing you and your family all the very best come November. But I have a feeling that you really won't need to worry too much about it.
doesn't happen like we think it does. No one rolls the tanks. No armies meet in pitched battle. It happens quietly, little by little. And because so many think it can't happen, it does happen. Little by little, the rules change. It doesn't seem shocking or sudden. And that's the point. Fewer places to vote, longer lines. Don't worry, they say. We're just improving the system. They hope we won't notice the rules are changing because they lost the last election. They hope we just won't care enough to stop them. They believe they can take America away from us, and we won't even notice. We know who they are. We know what they want. The question is, who are we? Do we let them get away with it, or do we fight? Democracy is on the ballot. Vote while your vote still counts. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising. Dear listener, welcome back. Before I say adios on this episode for this Thursday, I do want to thank you again for listening. I'm going to play you a clip, and I promised I would before this episode finished. It's another clip of Toni Morrison, the one, the only Toni Morrison, the legendary author and um, scholar and so many other things. Toni Morrison, she passed away uh, almost four years ago now and um, just about, you know, almost four years ago. And I should tell you that um, I already played your clip earlier with her, but I want to play this one from even earlier than that. This would be May the 7th of 1993, where she was on the Charlie Rose program. Oh God, Charlie Rose, oh dear. And even then, Charlie Rose was arrogant and he interrupted all the time. And you'll, you'll hear that again in this clip. But here is a three minute and change clip of Toni Morrison talking to Charlie Rose. Judge me by my deeds. That's right. Arthur Ashe was here, the late Arthur oh, Ashe, yes. and he said to me, as he said in one other place, he said, in a much quoted comment, he said, <coughs> living with AIDS is easier than living with racism. It's a harder struggle against mm. racism for me mm. than it is against AIDS. Mm. What it meant to me is that there's no way for the rest of us to understand that daily encounter. Which brings me to my question to you. Do you still have that encounter? Do you, Toni Morrison, Pulitzer Prize winner, successful, honored in the halls of academe, mm. etc., still have that encounter? Yes, I do, Charlie, but let me add, tell you that's the wrong question. Okay, what's the right question? How do you feel? Not you, Charlie Rose, right. but don't you understand? that the people who do this thing, who practice racism, right. are bereft. There is something distorted about the psyche. It's a huge waste and it's a corruption and a distortion. It's like it's a profound neurosis that nobody examines for what it is. It feels crazy, it is crazy. And it leaves, it has just as much of a deleterious effect on white people and possibly equal as it does black people. I always knew that I had the moral high ground all my life. 
I always thought those people who said I couldn't come in the drugstore and I had to sit in this funny place, I couldn't you go in the park. You felt more insecure to them I from did. day one. And I thought they knew that I knew that they were inferior to me, morally. I always thought that. And my parents always thought that. You said your father was racist because he always felt like he was he always superior. Thought, that's right. He always felt superior. And that was a form, you know, of, of, defend, of defensive racism. But if, if the racist white person, I don't mean the person who is examining his consciousness and so on, doesn't understand that he or she is also a race, it's also constructed, it's also made, and it also has some kind of serviceability. But when you take it away, I take your race away, and there you are, all strung out, and all you got is your little self. And what is that? What are you without racism? Are you any good? Are you still strong? Are you still smart? Are you still like yourself? I mean, these are the questions. It's Part of it is, yes, the victim, how terrible it's been for black yeah, people. Like that. I'm not a victim. I refuse to be one. And the victim is the other person who is morally inferior. And that's what that's a serious question to of course racism if you to have to hold that's for a, his or her own self-esteem and definition if you can only be tall because somebody's on their knees then you have a serious problem and my feeling is white people have a very very serious problem and they should start thinking about what they can do about it take me out of it then give white people some free advice <laughs> they're all in my books dear listener if you are white i will give you this free advice challenge the racist behavior in white communities that you are a part of your neighborhood your workplace your circle of friends your associates challenge them and call them out on their racism.